everyone. Um, it's just great, you know, that song, Dave, our wonderful worship man was telling me earlier on today that that song we were singing earlier on won the Dove Award for Song of the Year. Is that right, Dave? The one about no longer a slave. It's a fantastic song, isn't it? No longer a slave. I am a child of God. Isn't it good to be a child of God? Yes. Do you like the song? Yes. Do you like the truth? Yes. You're a child of God. I've got three children and... Um, the one has my brains, the other has my looks, the other has my zaniness, and you can work out which ones I'm talking about, <laughs> but, 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 but they, they, they all have something of me in them, and, and God, our Father, is a good Father, and we all carry something of Him in us, and we've been doing a series, and Richard t- spoke last Sunday night, was it, on just making Jesus famous through Jesus giving us his glory and us taking the glory that he gives us out there, making him famous for that. I think a few weeks before that, I talked about um, making Jesus famous just because of the overflow of the relationship that we enjoy with him. And carrying on on that series tonight, I want to talk tonight about just the fact that we're just like our father, just as he is holy, so we are holy in this earth. And we make him famous by our holiness. Now, if you think of holiness as wearing, you know, having a sort of umbrella and carrying a Bible under your arms, pockets full of tracts ready to give to some unsuspecting person on the boat, that might be a good thing to do at some point. But, but it's, it's not about holiness is something that's beautifully attractive. And holiness actually makes people realize how good God is. When we live holy lives, people understand that God is good. And they begin to understand that the way we act and the way we behave, we can make Jesus famous because we're the children of a wonderful Holy Father. And holiness is something beautiful to behold. The Bible talks about the worshipping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There's something wonderful about doing that. And Jesus said to those who were following in Matthew 5.14... He said this, he said to them, I know Jesus elsewhere, he said, I'm the light of the world. But there he says, Jesus said to those who are following him, you are the light of the world. Turn to the person next to you, just say, you're the light of the world. If you don't believe that, if you're not sure about that yet, you know what, you can give your life to Jesus tonight and become a Christian and understand that's the truth, that Jesus says, you're the light of the world. And then he says two verses later on, chapter 5, verse 16, let your light shine. Let it shine before others so that they, that they, the others, the others who aren't disciples of Jesus, that they may see your good works. That they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Something attractive about holiness. Something attractive about holy good works that we do as followers of Jesus together. The others, they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. When I spoke last time, I talked about the situation in Philippi where it was a, a city that was 
fiercely loyal to the Roman Emperor Claudius and he'd granted them the freedom of, 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 of the citizens, freedom of that city. And Paul writes to these people who are all confessing to a city which is known for people who confess Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. He writes to them and tells those who are confessing Jesus is Lord, those who contradict the culture of their city, he says to them this, he says, live, in Philippians 2.15, he writes this, live clean innocent lives as children of God. There you go. (laughs) I've got a good, good father. (laughs) Uh, I'm no longer a slave. I am a child of God. Live clean, innocent lives. It's not just the song that we sing. It's the way that we live. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining. What was Jesus saying? Let your light shine. Paul wrote this before the Gospels were written and it was recalled what Jesus had said, but he said, living as uh, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people, or simply put, uh, shining like stars in the sky. How? By living holy lives, living with something of the DNA of your heavenly father, who's a good holy father. I've got, because he's like that, I'm going to do good things. I... I was sort of scratching my head and asked a few people, what can you think of times when you've done something good, got it right, and it, towards people, towards the others, you've done something good and it's made a difference. I, I'm afraid I have to go back quite a few years uh, to when I last did something good. No, I went, went, the, last, the last story that I, I think is, is remarkable. Um, it was when Philippa and I took Jess to Manchester Airport and we were going to take her, she was going to go on to Canada to do Bible school there for a year. And as we checked in, there's all she was going away from home for a year, there was a few tears and everything. But as we were checking her in, so we noticed a couple who were our age with no children or anything, just on their own. And they seemed to be a bit tearful and a bit sad and a bit upset. Uh, we waved Jess off. She went up the escalator on Terminal 2. And we said, oh, well, let's have a cup of coffee and check she actually goes. We weren't wanting to get rid of her. Don't put me around that. Yeah, but we, we thought we wanted to be sure she'd gone. So we sat down, had this cup of coffee, and there were this couple... Uh, this same couple were just a couple of tables away. Notice them again. And this time they seemed more distraught, more fretting and disturbed and distressed. We went over and asked them, said, what, what's the problem? What's the matter? And they said, well, we've got up very early this morning. We've traveled from the northeast of England. And now we realize our plane has been delayed by over seven hours. And we've just got to spend it here. And we've got nowhere to go. They won't give us a voucher for any hotel. So we're just stuck here in the airport. I said, well, if you want, you can come back to our house and we'll look after you. There's an empty bed because my daughter's just gone to Canada. And to my shock, they said, hey, that would be great. That's fantastic. And they came back and we looked after them. We let them have a sleep in Jess's bed, gave them clean sheets. And then we went in the garden. They sat outside. We gave them some food, drove them back. And it was as I was driving them back to the airport, you know, seven, eight hours later on, driving them back to the airport. They said, do you know what you've done? You've restored our faith in human nature. And I said to them, well, uh, because you don't even know us and you've just done this. You've just been kind to us. And I just talked to them a little bit about us being, you know, Christians and following Jesus. And they said, oh, that's funny. We've got some best friends of ours that go to a happy clappy church. And, and, and they're thinking about, they keep telling us we should do an Alpha course. And that, that was it as much as we talked about things. And then they send a postcard later on. But I think, well, for once, Philippa and I probably got... It right in terms of just being hospitable, letting our light shine, letting it be known, hey, this is because we follow Jesus and something happening, just do, being good and doing good that impacted a couple. 
And who knows what's happened to them? I honestly don't know. It's years since we've heard from them. But that sort of holiness is attractive. Now, if you just hold that thought there a minute, um, let's just think a little bit about King's Church. We're coming back to what we were talking about there. Just think about King's Church. This church was planted in 1984. That's 32 years ago. And a prophetic word came back then that there, that there would be fires planted around from the central location here in the city center. Fires would be planted around the city from that initial coming together of, of people like Joan and Joseph Whiteman and Zeta uh, and later on, you know, Liz Heron, later on, Philippa Clark, as she was called then. And people just coming together uh, at that time. And I remember, uh, you know, earlier on, um, yes, I remember them being there, yes. <laughs> Uh, Tim and Esther, yeah, Tim and Esther as well, been there early on in, in those early days as well. And people coming together and, and just, you know, just what's happened in, in those 32 years, just a few couple of weeks ago, seeing over, you know, um, a big crowd of people in Longsight celebrating their first year anniversary. This Manchester Evening Sight been going sometimes. It's just good to see. Salford going on, just having 150 children come to the Eden bus uh, thing from the secondary school. And so things are happening and it's reaching out to communities. And this, this, this afternoon, a meeting Dami Lucundo had for people interested in Manchester North planting out the new site. James and Rian Bagley uh, had a meeting at one o'clock in their house earlier on today for people interested in planting out into South Manchester. And we're beginning to plan out. Why? Because we want people, we want Jesus to be made famous through communities of people who just love one another and love the world around them and want him made famous through all sorts of different ways. Uh, but I want to say to you, well, what do you do? You know, is it just the church events? Is it just when you do things like leafleting here or when in Longsight they pick up litter or Manchester, you know, the students in Manchester go out and give water, out bottles of water to those clubbing late at night? What do you do next? What happens next? Well, 1986 years ago, on the day of Pentecost, the good news, the new covenant church was born, and the good news was gossiped and talked about, and it overflowed from people's hearts, and people found that relationship with Jesus wasn't, uh, the Easter wasn't just a, a story to tell, but an offer of new life, a uh, new location to spiritually moved in, that they moved into, uh, and the day of Pentecost came, and the new covenant church, church was born. Um, but Daily, we read, people were added to the church. That when it was asked, how many people have led someone to the Lord? There were people saying, yeah, come on, I want to show you my friend that I've led to Jesus this week. That something was happening. Jesus was being made famous through people talking and opening their mouths and speaking to the others. Those who didn't yet know that God was good and to be enjoyed, that they could start enjoying. And people were added and baptized in water and baptized in the person and power of God, the Holy Spirit. And wonderful things began to happen. Um, uh, but what went on, you know, is, is that there was persecution in the church in Jerusalem. People didn't say, oh, I'm going to go to that site or I'm going to do it. There was no choice for some of them. They were persecuted and spread around. Uh, and, uh, and others deliberately, like the man we talked about last time when I spoke, you know, Paul, who went as a, a, a church planter and went around planting churches, preaching the gospel, preaching the good news, and, and things began to happen. But I want to ask the question, after that initial start, what was happening back then in the New Testament church, in the New Covenant church, 32 years after it had started, all right, which is 
32 years after the day of Pentecost, what do we read? We read that Paul had just finished his first spell in a prison in Rome. He had two, prison spell, two spells of being in prison in Rome. This was his first one, and he was released. He got out. And as soon as he went out, he went, one of the places he went to almost straight away was to an island called Crete. He seems to pick the, 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 the nice locations for it. It's Thessaloniki was a nice place by the sea. Now he went to Crete and began to preach the good news there. And he went there. He, he, he then, after he was at uh, Crete, he moved on to Ephesus, which was a big city, big hub. Uh, and then into Macedonia and went to a place called Nicopolis. And he started to write some letters. And from his letters that he wrote when he was in Nicopolis, we know exactly what was going on in some of those areas. Because he had people who he could trust. People. One of them was a man called Titus, who was, he, he refers to Titus as his true spiritual son, a son in the faith. And Titus wasn't a Jew, Titus was a Gentile, but Titus, he gave Titus a job. He said to Titus, what I want you to do, Titus, is to stay in Crete. And I'm writing this letter to you, and this is what I want you to do, because there's new churches that have been started in Crete, and I want you to look after those new churches and get those new churches into some sort of good order so that those people can just be who God intends them to be. And there was another person who he, who he loved and, 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 and saw as a spiritual son as well. And that was a man called Timothy. And Timothy, he told Timothy, Timothy, I want you to be in Ephesus. And he wrote a letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy. You get, we get to read the emails, guys. They're in the Bible there. And he wrote to Timothy, who was in Ephesus. And he, t- and, and he told Timothy, look, this is the sort of thing I want you to do. And very similar to what he wrote to Titus. However, there was a difference. The churches in Ephesus had already been going for 12 years, whereas the churches in Crete were new churches. And so just remember that there was a little bit of difference there. But what did Paul write? Uh, And he told um, Timothy and Titus that one of the things they needed to do was to sort out good leaders. And he gave the qualifications for leadership, for those who were going to be, the Bible term is elders, those who were going to be leaders in the church. And so, you know, first of all, he writes to Timothy and he gives a a list of things that he wants to see in a good leader. And one of the things a good leader must be able to do, he says to Timothy and to Titus, is they must be able to understand the doctrine, the truth of scripture, the truth of the gospel and understand it and be able to pass it on to members of the church so the church is built up and can understand it. And he wrote that to Timothy and he wrote to Timothy as well. And when you're picking leaders, make sure that none of them are new converts. However, when he wrote to Titus, because all the church were, they were all new converts, he didn't give that as a condition. He, he just said, you've got to pick new leaders. And what you find is a parallel list in T- Timothy, that letter he wrote first of all. And as soon as he put his pen down, he picked it up and started writing to Titus, it seems. And, and, and in the letter that he wrote to Titus, we're just going to look at that one because we see there at what are the qualifications for leadership because it 
helps us to understand uh, something of the things that are important that really matter where you've got a church setting uh, where the church is wanting to make Jesus famous. And, and the things that he puts as qualifications for leadership aren't things like have they got a degree in theology? Have they led a connect group well yet? Do they prophesy often? Do they sing well? Uh, will they be happy with the pay that we give them? Didn't count because they didn't even get paid, you know, because nor was, they weren't paid and neither was more. But look, let's look at what it says in Titus. So it's in the New Testament, Titus, just before, some just ran about just before the book of Hebrews. And this is what he writes in Titus 1, verses 5 to 9. I'm going to read it from the message uh, paraphrase. And it says this, appoint leaders, to so write into Titus, appoint leaders in every town according to my instructions. As you select them, ask is this man, or we could say man or woman, we believe women are included in this. Is this man, woman, well thought of? Is he committed to his wife? Are his children believers? Do they respect him and stay out of trouble? It's important that a church leader responsible for the affairs in God's house be looked up to, not pushy, not short-tempered, not a drunk, not a bully, not money-hungry. He must welcome people, be helpful, wise, fair, reverent, have a good grip on himself. In other words, he's saying, actually, it really matters that the church leaders we select here be good and do good. It matters that there's something good, that there's something about their personal holiness that affects their character, that affects what they do, that they are good and do good. Uh, it's not about how gifted or opinionated they are over certain matters. Um, but, you know, from what you can see, Titus, and Paul writes to Titus, he's asking these sort of questions. Who's known as serving everybody else? Who welcomes the new faces who come into the church community? Who puts the cups away? Uh, you know, who makes the coffee for everyone else? Uh, who tidies up when everyone else rushes off home? Who turns up on time? Who keeps their word when they say they're going to do something? They do it. It's character. It's integrity. It's goodness that matters. And so having written about the leadership situation, let's pick on to our main point, which is what Paul continues as his theme throughout this whole letter when he's writing to Titus. Here we go. We want to get this clear and sorted out in the church in, 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 in Crete. We want people, and he picks up this whole theme of being good and doing good. And you see it time and time again throughout this letter to, to Titus. Um, and what's he saying? I believe he's saying that character is more important than gifting. And certainly far more important than putting on a religious show. Be good and do good. Gifting is important. Please don't misunderstand at all what I'm saying tonight. Spiritual gifts and gifts of the Holy Spirit are wonderful, really important. But if character isn't there, there's something going awry. There's something not right. Character matters. Uh, and Paul, aware of what was going on, in, you know, because in Ephesus, what had happened there is strange teachers had come who'd said that in actual fact if you want to follow Jesus you need to you need to start obeying a whole list of old covenant religious rules you need to act in a religious way and one of the things you need to do guys if you want to follow Jesus is get circumcised 
bad news. And in fact, it wasn't truth. Uh, and, and, and Paul said about these religious false leaders who got the whole wrong idea. It was about putting on a religious show. It was what you did publicly. is what, uh, what your airs and graces were. What your outside impression you gave mattered. He said about these religious teachers in, in um, t- Titus 1 verse 16. He refers to them. This is what was happening in Ephesus. And this is what the job Timothy had got to do to sort out in Ephesus. He said, these people profess to know God, but they deny him by their words. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing any good. I want to challenge us all. Is do we profess to know him? Do we say, yes, Jesus is my Lord? In which case, if we do, where are our good works? Works matter. <laughs> They're evidence that you actually love Jesus, that you actually, he is Lord of your life. What you do, doing good and being good matters. You can't come on a Sunday and say, Jesus is Lord, lift your hands, sing, dance, prophesy, go away and start working in a way that is, is sinful or wrong or unholy. Holiness matters. Being good and doing good matters. Uh, and I'd say, you know, the more religious in this external way a person is, the less fit they are to be good and do good. That's what Paul wrote about them. They're unfit for doing any good. Be it circumcision 1,954 years ago or the man-made rules and regulations that religion still proliferates today. Religion, (laughs) dead religion, is just so unattractive. So Paul tells Titus in Crete, if you get any of the circumcision gang turn up, and start trying to tell new Christians that they've got to do religious things such as get circumcised, tell them quite simply they need to shut up. My paraphrase. Uh, Holiness isn't about doing a list of religious things. Holiness is about being good, realizing you've got a good father, that you're no longer a slave, you're you're a son, and I carry his DNA. I'm like him, and it's the penny dropping, realizing that's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. I've, I've got a holy father. So Paul tells, just, just if you've got Titus open in front of you, just flick through it with me. So Paul tells Titus himself, first of all, after, you know, that he, in chapter 2, verse 7, is to set the Cretans an example in his own lifestyle. He says, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Come on, Titus, you're leading this. You need to be set in an example and just do good things. And Paul says in chapter 2, verse 14, that this good news, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Jesus be the center. It's all about Jesus, our God and Savior, 2, verse 14, who gave himself for us to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for doing good. Come on. Are we zealous for doing good? What are we we going to do tomorrow? Are we zealous for doing good? I can't wait for tomorrow to come because I'm going to do something good. No matter how simple, how how uncomplicated it is, no matter how it might seem just like insignificant, I'm determined to do something good. Paul says to Titus to really remind in chapter 3 verse 1, he says, just really keep on reminding these new Christians uh, to be ready for doing good. So if Titus were here tonight, he'd be saying to you, hey guys, come on, are you ready to do good? Come on, get ready to do good. That tonight, that gathering together, it's just about ourselves getting ready to do good on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Then we come together again and we get ready again just to keep on doing good. It's about being good and doing good. 
Uh, and then he says, um, and again at, in, in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, It's a fruit and an evidence of trusting God. Those who've trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Hang on a minute. This isn't just about um, it's something I, 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 I might do if I feel like doing it. It's actually, I am devoted. <laughs> I'm devoted. I'm just as a man might fall in love and be devoted to, 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 to a woman. I'm devoted to doing good. My devotion. I'm devoted. It's what my passion is. It's what I love doing. And, you know, see me in the university. See me in the workplace. And I just love doing good. Um, and it's evidence. It's evidence. Do I trust God? Yes. I trust God because I'm devoted to doing good. And again, at the end of the letter, in chapter 3, verse 14, he says, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Our people, he writes to Titus, these are our brothers and sisters. This is family. Come on, our people must devote themselves to doing good. Um, so Paul's saying to Titus, you know, if we want to make Jesus famous... If we want to evangelize, if we want people who don't enjoy God to start enjoying him, it's absolutely vital that people have good character. They must be good and do good. Um, I asked a few people for um, stories of some things that they were doing. Might get a one or two tonight. Tony, do you want to come and tell us your story? Got a microphone? Um, I, I work in a school um, and I, I'm a teaching assistant so I'm usually assigned to one member of staff at a time and I'm helping that person um, and at one point um, the member of staff I was working for um, kind of went over my head to speak to my, my senior leaders and the head teacher um, to make some complaints about me um, which hadn't been made to me so I was called into the office with the head teacher and one of the senior leaders um, and they kind of already had a bit of bit of a vendetta against this member of staff anyway. Um, and so they kind of asked me, is there anything I would like to complain about her? Because they were kind of just looking for a, an excuse to show her at the door. Um, and I said no. Um, because I don't believe that it's right for me to have a conversation like that with someone else apart from the person that... Um, I had an issue with if I had an issue with them so they really pressed me for quite a while um, I was in the room for quite a while and they were really trying to kind of squeeze something out of me but I refused and um, and I went back and I spoke to this member of staff and I said I, I really hope um, that you feel like you can come and say something to me if I've done something wrong or you feel like I'm not doing something then I really hope that you like in future you feel like you can come and we can have like that conversation together Thanks, thanks. Thanks, Tony. Okay, so, so just a simple story happened in one day in a, in a, in a work situation, but seeking to be good and, and do good. Um, there's another story which Gavin told me, and um, Gavin is governor of a, a primary school and has been for more than 10 years. And he told uh, the site in Longsite this morning just how every time there's an Ofsted inspection uh, and the teachers all get nervous, he, over the 10 years, every time Gavin has just taken in chocolates into the staff room, a big box of chocolates, just so the teachers can enjoy chocolates. Do, do you get what I'm talking about? We're not talking dramatic 
amazing sort of incredible things. We're talking about people who have got something of their father that it's, it's not taking revenge in Tony's case. It's just being kind and understanding people are in a stressful situation in Gavin's. Um, Lauren, are you going to... John, John is, okay. Yep, yep. Yeah, um, I guess some of you guys may know I run... Well, I used to run pretty regularly and still try and run less regularly. <clears throat> um, over the years, I've kind of taken a lot from the running community, done a lot of races, um, which like take effort to put on. Over this summer, we kind of... I just wanted to give something back, so um, there was a 10k race a few weeks ago in Windershaw Park and dragged Lauren along as well. But we just said, like, okay, let's volunteer at this, let's um, steward and marshal and just take that opportunity to kind of stand in the middle of a field in Windershaw Park, clapping for about three hours solid <laughs> while this 78-year-old woman <laughs> kind of runs past you and yeah just to kind of be there and give that encouragement because having received from it so much just take an opportunity to say let's give something back today that's it really that's it thanks yeah you see what he says he says that's it really because he thinks hang on that's not very dramatic normally when people give stories they're really big dramatic stories yeah i i, I just want to say you know i had people come and ask people stories some people gave me much more dramatic stories than the ones you're hearing tonight but i said no i don't want those i really want us to get it's about character it's about integrity it's about the things you can do every day in the situations where you are it's about holiness guys um, it's about saying when you get the last minute request, will you go on the Duke of Edinburgh as Jess got recent, you know, this weekend? Will you do it because the other person's ill and can't do it? Will you do it? And yes, it's not what I want to be doing at this stage for the weekend, but she does. It's about working together with others in team. It's about making that pot of coffee when you've already made one. Uh, and you do another one. Uh, and you think, that's it, I'm going to do it without complaining and grumbling. It's about being good. Now, Paul says, Paul says that in the situation that the churches were in in, in in Crete, the Cretans get ready to be shocked by some non-politically correct stuff we find in the Bible here. But Paul said about the Cretans that they themselves prophesied about themselves, you can read it in, in chapter 1 verse 12, that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Paul said that's what they said about themselves. <laughs> uh, the fact of the matter was, is he says, you know, as you do good, as you are good, surrounded by people who aren't, you shine like stars, as we read in, you know, early on. You shine like bright lights, Philippians 2.15, in a dark universe. How about we start to shine and let our light shine? And we don't go all ultra humble and say, I'm not prepared to talk about it, but we talk about it in connect groups. We start to encourage one another, as the writer to the Hebrews says, that we spur one another on to love and to good works. All the more as we see the day approaching. Why? Because we want to be famous? No, not at all. Because we want Jesus to be famous and we want his name to be known and we want it to be seen. That being a Christian actually makes a difference in the workplace. That it actually means my attitudes are different. I don't fight back. I don't argue. I don't moan. I don't groan. There's something about me that means, yes, I maintain an integrity because I've got something of my father's, heavenly father's genes. Um, you see... Um, when we get that, uh, we, we, we begin to, to, to spread this wonderful message. Um, you know, as I said, he wanted the people, the, the leaders, to be able to, to, to teach good doctrine in the gathered church meeting. And it was important. It was a condition for being a leader that the leader could actually teach good doctrine. And, um, and, and you know, it's, it's about 
all that you see in chapter 2, 1 to 10, when you've got that list, is, is that they're, they're kind, they're self-controlled, they're not arguing, they're not stealing, they're working well. And he gives a reason why he wants them in the first place to, to teach doctrine, to teach truth from the word of God when the church gathers together. Why is it we do it today? It's for the same reason. It's so that we can embrace, so that we can receive truth into our hearts on a Sunday or at the Connect group or at the Monday Ignite or whenever it is, we receive truth into our hearts. And then chapter 2, verse 10, he says this, so that in everything, you teach good doctrine, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. They may, cosmeo is the Greek word, they may embellish, adorn, make beautiful, make it look as good as they possibly can, the doctrine. Do you understand why you're here tonight? It's you're hearing truth. Why will you be here next week, we trust? So that you can hear truth. You hear truth so that you can embellish it as you go out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Um, you see... That same word, cosmeo, it, it, it's, it means you put something in order, you put something, you make it beautiful, you make it right. In Revelation 21 verse 2, he talks about the new Jerusalem coming from heaven as a bride adorned for a husband, talking about the church. But hey, you know, just naturally speaking, a bride was at the wedding um, a week ago last Saturday for, 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 for Fummi and Rotomi. And you see Fummi come up the aisle and she's been adorned, she's embellished, she's looking as good as she possibly can. I've never been to a wedding yet where the bride doesn't do that. What do we do with the truth we receive? We make it look as good as we can. Where do we do that? Um, you see, Paul, he's, he, Peter again uses that word in 1 Peter 3 verse 5. And he says, you know, he says, guess what? He's writing to a whole group of different churches. And he says, what? He says, the women, some of them can actually look pretty good. But it's not when they nip off to the Trafford Centre and get the latest Gucci and Gucci handbag that they adorn, that they cosmeo themselves. He says, it's not getting the latest gear from the Trafford Centre. It's when they're good to their husbands. I'm glad Philip is listening to this. She does both. But anyway. Um, but, 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 it, but it, it, it's just about, uh, I'm getting the look, I'm not looking over there. Uh, it, it's, 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 about, it, it's about adorning yourself with goodness, with that character, that integrity that comes from just being a child, a son and daughter of God. So Paul, you know, writing to Titus, it's not about how long the teaching should be, it's not how the kids' work should be run, it's not about how the stewarding team should be organized, it's not even about spiritual gifts in this particular epistle. it's about, as important as all those things are, what he's stressing here is, guys, you've got to be good and do good. How do you practice being good? Uh, If it really matters, where do you practice it? Um, I recently heard Neil Hudson say, and Richard's picked it up and put it on the front of your your weekly leaflet today, but that there are 168 hours in a week. I could have worked it out myself, but... Um, assume 48 hours are spent sleeping. You've got it on your weekly as well, but it's on the screen behind me. That leaves 120. Most people, if employed, don't, but could give up to maybe 10 hours a week on church activities. That leaves 110 hours for work, family, and leisure a week. 
When we talk about discipleship, when we talk about being trained to be good and do good, we often think about the 10 hours. It's going to happen in the 10 hours. I'm going to get a t- an appointment to see Richard. I'm going to see Josh. I'm going to see Shah. I'm going to see, I'm going to see someone. And I'm going, to, I'm going to be discipled. Paul writes to Timothy, actually, in Ephesus. And he says this. He says, train yourself. Train yourself to be godly. And discipleship, I'm discipling you now. Richard's discipling you. And, you know, whoever's bringing the word is discipling you, bringing you truth. And there's discipleship going on right now. What are you going to do with it? Where are you going to put it in action? It's going to be in the 110 hours, not in the 10. For example, um, you know, uh, see, what, 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 forgiveness. We preach a message on forgiveness. Where are you going to practice it most? Hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully, it's not going to be in the 10 hours. It's going to be where you practice forgiveness most. We won't be offending one another quite that much. But in the 110 hours, you will be finding there's plenty of opportunity to practice for good forgiveness. And you've even heard examples tonight. But you find there's examples to do that. Um, there's time to do that. Uh, you know, what about gossip? Someone told me they work as a receptionist and... Um, there's another two younger women who work alongside this person as a receptionist, and I won't give details of where it is or anything, but, but there's a rush at times, and then it goes quiet in the place where this person works. And what happens when, when the rush stops, the other receptionists start to gossip about people in the workplace? This person doesn't join in. What's happening? They've embraced the doctrine, they've embraced truth, and they're practicing it in the 110, not in the 10. Yeah. Um, what about patience? You see, in both Crete, 1954 years ago, and Manchester, you know, where do you practice patience? What about the young married couple with the baby not sleeping at night? The sex life isn't at all what it used to be. He gets up and has to go to work early with bags under his eyes, really tired. How can he practice patience? How can he practice holiness? It's by not moaning and groaning about the God-given gift of a child in the workplace. She does the same when she goes to the mums and toddlers group, is, is giving thanks with a thankful heart, maintaining a good attitude in that. What about steadfastness, endurance? We talk about these as qualities, as fruits of the Spirit. Uh, it's practice in that job where, where it, it, it threatens to rob you not just of your self-worth but also of your sanity because you think this is a job, I hate this job, it doesn't seem to have any value to me. But, but you do it and you keep on going until you've got another job because you're, you're, you're steadfast, you understand this is something. I'm doing that student job that you're doing, you think it's mindless, it's, it's mindless, you keep going at it. Um, what about that hard time at work when the work team, your work colleagues are coming under pressure, there's an inspection coming on or there's, there's an extra load of customers coming in and you feel like pulling a sickie but you don't, you carry on because you're steadfast. It's called holiness. It's called keeping going. It's not just about what we do in this building, it's what we do there. And when we begin to act like that, there becomes something attractive about us. You don't have to be a Christian to do some of these things. There's things which Richard's going to talk about later on, about gifts of the Holy Spirit and gifts of healing and and praying and seeing miraculous things happen. We believe in all that, of course we do. But tonight we're just wanting to focus particularly on this issue of character and this issue of being good and doing good that is the basis for so much for all that we do. Um, You know, 
what happens when there's a new person starting at your work? I embellish, I make the doctrine of hospitality look good when I'm the one that reaches out to them. Uh, uh, I'm the one that says, you're going all right, you're finding it okay. I'm the one who talks to them. When it's a person that, that nobody else wants to talk to, and I talk to them, I embellish the doctrine of loving others. Can, can we just close our eyes a minute? And I'm just going to finish. And I just want to use some words. I want us to focus in on what we're doing in the 110 hours. How can we be holy and be righteous? How can we be good and do good in the 110, especially? In that there's something about us that, yes, I am uh, I'm loved by you. Uh, you're a good, good father. I'm loved by you that, uh, you know, I am a child of God. How can we show it? And I'm going to use some words of Jesus, doctrine, some truth that Jesus says about us. And I want us to apply what he says this week. And I want us to see scenarios. And, and, and perhaps for this first one, um, I just want you to picture where you're going to be. This classic thing of 11 o'clock Monday morning. Where are you going to be? Just picture yourself there now. And just picture, just close your eyes, just picture yourself in the office, in the lecture room, wherever it is, looking after children at home or whatever. Just see yourself there. And I'm going to say what Jesus said based on John 17, verse 8. He says, you know, I'm going to say something. I want you to say, to to take hold of the confession that I'm saying and say amen to it if you can. That at that moment, 11 o'clock Monday morning, the life of Christ is on display in me. That means the life of the Father is on display in me by the Spirit. See, Monday, still keep on Monday, 11 o'clock. Matthew 5, 13, I'm salt, bringing out God flavors everywhere I go. I don't lose my saltiness. Matthew 5, 14, switch to Tuesday now. It might be the same place, but Tuesday, 11 o'clock. I am light, based on Matthew 5, 14, I'm light, bringing out God colors everywhere I go. Matthew 24, 31 to 40, as I bless overlooked and ignored people, I bless Christ. Just think of them, the people that are overlooked, the people that are ignored, you can bless them. You can bless them. It's being good and doing good. It's being holy. Uh, Luke 19, verse 5, I see every day, see Wednesday, Thursday, Friday now, I see every day is a day for Jesus by the Spirit to be a guest in my home. Just think of your family situations. Think of the houses that you live in, the flats. Matthew 7, verse 12, I ask myself, here's one for every day, I ask myself what I'd like people to do for me, then I do it for them. Matthew 7, 12. She's being good and doing good. Matthew 12, verse 7. My life demonstrates mercy more than sacrifice. I prefer to have a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual. I'm not into dead religion, an inflexible ritual. I'm into the life of God flowing from me, being willing to change plans, being willing to move and show mercy and love and compassion and kindness. Lord, we say thank you for what Paul wrote to Titus. We say thank you for the churches that were in Crete at that time. And Lord, we say we want to embrace something of Paul 
uh, and something of your spirit through Paul, Lord, that, that we can be people who really grasp this truth of, of this New Testament letter, Lord, that we will be people who are devoted to being good and doing good. We thank you that you have prepared good works in advance for us to do. And we say, Lord, just Holy Spirit, will you show us, will you help us to understand the importance of good character, the importance of holiness? And we say, as we do it, Lord, we want to make you famous across greater Manchester. We want your name to be known. And we say, Lord, raise up a people across this city who aren't seen as hypocrites, who aren't seen as those who come and go and don't really care. We say we want to be people who are good and do good because we have a good father and we say we are like you and we bear your image and we say thank you Lord for what you're going to do for us we say sharpen us up on this Lord cause us to be zealous for good works in all that we do in Jesus name amen